following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
take time to be holy. Almighty God, would you change the way we use our time? Would you bring discipline into the way we use our time? Would you let us have a vision of eternity that we might know how to prepare? Today, Lord, would you come and touch our hearts? Lord, let me be invisible, step back, hidden by the cross. Holy Spirit, would you lift Jesus up in this house today? I pray in your holy name, mighty God, in the name of Jesus, amen. First Peter, the first chapter, beginning with verse 13. First Peter, the first chapter, beginning with verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. You read the context of this passage, it's clear. He's saying, look, get ready to spend some time. I think about all that we do. How much time it takes to just take care of our bodies. Shower and shave and dress. How much time it takes in our family for Pastor Jan to do the shopping for the groceries. It takes at least one day a week for a mother or a wife just to take care of the basics of the family. A whole day a week. By the time the shopping is done, the food preparation, it takes time to be family. And then when you have children, how much time does it take? Ever try to hurry a baby through a diaper change? They begin to squall because they don't like to be pushed in their diaper change. Or have you ever tried to hurry a baby on the bottle? Come on, hurry out, drink this. I've got business to do. No, we don't do that. We cuddle them. We take time. It takes time to be a daddy. It takes time to play with the children and read the scriptures. I watched yesterday a father as he sat with his son. Every distraction was around him at Borders Bookstore. But he sat his, his little boy and he kept pulling his attention back as he read the story to him. I thought, wow, that daddy is spending time with his boy. Purposeful time with his boy. That dad could have been doing any number of other things. He could have been holding down the third or fourth job, <laughs> making money. He could have been out golfing. He could have been doing a myriad of other things, but he knew it was going to take time to be with his boy. Because when his boy grows up, he wants his boy to spend time with him. And if dad doesn't spend time with a boy when he's little, when the boy grows up, he won't spend time with dad. It takes time to be a Christian. 
It takes time to know Jesus. You cannot rush in the reading of the scriptures. Any of you frustrated as you have your reading assignment and you didn't get up quite early enough and you have that deadline of the job and so now you're going to rush Jesus for mammon. The word said you cannot serve both God and mammon. Who you serve will be revealed by who you spend time with. It takes time to be with Jesus, just like it takes time to be with our wives, our children, our family. So the apostle is saying, get ready. Get ready to spend some serious time. Prepare your mind. Understand that this is not a quick-fix deal. Now, let's be very honest. We are but grass. He says that. Verse 23, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable to the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. What I'm preaching to you will not just disappear. It's the word of God. And it takes time for the Holy Spirit to deal to the bottom of our rebellion against the holy God. And if we just quickly go by and we hit McDonald's and we say, thanks, I'll have the burger and the fries. And we drive down the road and we're jamming the food in our mouth. We've had no meal. And if you try to treat God that way, you'll have indigestion. You'll have confusion in your life. You'll have sorrows. You'll have heartbreak. Because when the storm comes, you're blown any which direction that Satan might want to blow you because you don't have any anchor deep into the most holy compartment of the sanctuary. You don't know who you are. You don't know who your master is. You don't know how to stand because you've spent no time with Jesus. It takes time with Jesus. It takes time to prepare for eternity. Oh, the interesting thing, and it passes us by so easily and so quickly, let me read it to you again. To the living and enduring word of God, for all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Forever is symbolizing a period of time. We think about time in a linear manner. Right now it's three o'clock. We know about four o'clock we'll be leaving the house of the Lord. 4.30 if I'm long-winded. We think in that manner. We think in a linear manner. God does not think in a linear manner. God is at the beginning of time right now. God is in the middle of time right now. God is at the end of time. God created time. He's not controlled by time. 
time is our limitation, not God's limitation. God is limitless. He is without time. And so, if we're going to begin to talk about a creature who is like grass, who withers with the sun, you have to then ask the question, what will the grass do before it withers? We have a very short window of time, linear time. And during that time, our task is to prepare for eternity. It's not to get rich. It's not to enjoy all the things of the world. It's not to see all of the sights of the world. Oh, do you know what I would love to do? I would love to go on a cruise in China up that great river. I would love to travel in Asia. I would love to go just traveling and seeing the awesome sights of this world. Oh, I could, I could be satisfied, frankly, with a paddle boat ride up the Mississippi. I could spend my time visiting the Painted Desert. Oh, do you know how much I would like to go this spring to the prairies of my homeland in Wyoming and Colorado and see the flowers of spring as they break out across those prairies? Oh, there are so many places I'd like to go and so many restaurants I'd like to eat in. There are so many hotels I would like to lay in their beds. Oh, I'd like to taste the delicacies. But you know what? My eye is on eternity. Eternity has my heart. I haven't time to visit the world. I haven't time to explore all of the hidden places of this planet because I have my eyes on eternity, and it's there. My heart's desire rests. His name is Jesus. My treasure is in heaven. My treasure is with Jesus. That's where I'm going. And I have this very short span of linear time to prepare for that eternity on the other side. Oh, there will be a day when I will be timeless. Well, I will enter into the glory of my Lord and my Savior, and time will pass by. And we will all be together, I pray. And we will be talking at that million-year anniversary. <laughs> and we will be expressing the joy of our hearts as we have now been in the presence of our Master for one million linear years and say it has been as though a flash had passed. How is it possible that we could have been together with Jesus for a million years? Every day is sweeter than the day before. Oh, you see, when we begin to think in this manner, the trivias of this world fade away. The joys of this world we lay aside because we're looking for the joy on the other side. Now, those joys on the other side Time to be holy. A man or woman does not become holy overnight. It's a process of discipline and testing, walking in the fire. It's a process of having the Holy Spirit rebuke us for being so shallow, for being so self-centered, 
for being so angry with those around us, for being so self-absorbed. The Holy Spirit comes and he says, let me give you a vision of tomorrow. I think about this issue from a tragic story in the Old Testament. God had just laid out the whole diagram of the salvation process. They had built a living model of it called the tabernacle. There was the altar of burnt offering where the blood was drawn, where the sacrifice was laid. There was the laver where the washing and the cleansing took place. Then there was the tent of meeting where you entered into that tent of meeting. And there, on that left side, was that beautiful candlestick. The glorious light of Jesus spreading through that house. On the right was the table of showbread where the children of Israel were symbolically laid out as a sacrifice before the Lord. And then there was the altar of incense where the the prayers of God's people ascended. And then behind the curtain that symbolized our Lord Jesus Christ, there was the Ark of the Covenant. An ark doesn't have a rudder. An ark is not directed by man. An ark is a place of refuge. And this place of refuge held righteousness. It didn't hold wickedness. There is no refuge in wickedness. There's no refuge in the pleasures of the world. There is refuge in righteousness. And over that righteousness was the mercy seat. That's where the blood was placed. And there, sheltered by the wings of the seraphim, the cherubim, was the visible presence of Almighty God as he deigned to dwell among us. Now we see the whole working model laid out as the sacrifices are brought, symbolizing the broken body of God himself. Well, this was not to be a salvation that was going to be achieved by Moses. This was a salvation that would be achieved by God himself. The whole model from start to finish, righteousness itself, was Jesus Christ. It was God himself. There was no righteousness in Moses. There was no righteousness in Aaron. There was no righteousness in the people. The only righteousness was in that ark. And abiding above that ark, God himself. So this model was laid out of this blood atonement. You remember blood atonement is what makes at one possible takes away every hindrance for oneness. And so this model was defining for us a method by which we could be brought into oneness with God once and for all, where righteousness would dwell in us. Where before we're brought into his fellowship, only unrighteousness dwells in us, only evil dwells in us. But when we're brought into this 
wonderful ark of the covenant. Righteousness flows in our hearts. Three men are brought, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. And atonement is made for their sin. And they are told, don't leave the entrance to the tabernacle for seven days, seven being the number of perfection. Don't leave for seven days because if you do, you will die because the oil of righteousness is upon you. In other words, if they had left the entrance to that tabernacle, they would have broken the model. They would have said, we are righteous in ourselves. They could not leave the entrance to that tabernacle because they had no righteousness of their own. They had to have the righteousness of the oil that was upon them. And so they stayed where they were covered by the blood of the offering of atonement. They stayed with the oil of the atonement. After that week was over, they were all to come together and offer another offering, and they were told that now the presence of God would demonstrate his power. So we find the story in the ninth chapter of the book of Leviticus. We find that Aaron comes and lays out this offering, burning the fat on the altar, waving the breast and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering as Moses had commanded. In verse 22, Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and he blessed them. Now, don't take that for granted. He should have cursed them because they were of sin. But now a way had been opened through this tabernacle that they could be blessed. I want to tell you today, a way has been opened for you as you come into this house by the blood of Jesus Christ for you to be blessed. Just as Aaron was blessing the people. Jesus now lifts up his hands as our high priest, and by his shed blood, he speaks blessing over his people. The blessing is undeserved. We have sinned against him. But he is now by faith in the process of making our wickedness into his righteousness. the process we have called sanctification. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar, and when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Same thing that happened at Pentecost. This is Pentecost. Pentecost, the sacrifice has been offered. Jesus has gone into the Holy of Holies in heaven. The offering has been accepted. 
And now he sends his fire upon his burnt offering. We're told in Romans, the 12th chapter, live as a burnt offering. A sacrificial burnt offering. A life of martyrdom for Jesus Christ. Utterly separated from the world. So now the fire comes. You understand, we're asking for this again. When we ask for revival, we're asking for the fire of God to come again. And it's very dangerous when we ask this fire to come. This fire brings both blessing and destruction. Blessing for those who are at the entrance, under the blood, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and destruction for those who refuse to remain in his presence and step aside because they don't have any time. Now Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they took their censers. You know what a censer is. It holds the fire. And incense is placed inside and the smoke, the aroma comes out of it. They took their censers and instead of going to the altar of burnt offering, where the fire was never to go out, and taking the fire that God had ignited by demonstrating his glory, they lit their own match. They brought strange fire. So now, as they burn the incense before God, and the prayers ascend before the Lord, it's all flesh. It's not of the spirit. It's of the flesh. And God refuses to accept it. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent, thus sparing his life. There is a time to remain silent before God. We are called the National Prayer Chapel. We dare not bring to God our prayers with strange fire. Strange fire consists of what we strike with our own match. It's what we want. It's what we desire. It's what we have the time to do. I want to be very forthright and very practical about what I'm speaking of. How many times at the National Prayer Chapel I've seen us gather together in the presence of God and lift our hands in praise to him. I've heard the word proclaimed with boldness. And then as soon as we're finished, everybody begins to chat about the world. And the Holy Spirit is grieved from our presence. And we have lost his presence before we even leave this house. How quickly we come into his presence and our thoughts are about 
all of the things we've been spending our precious lifetime on where we have not been preparing for eternity. We've been preparing for what would satisfy our own egos, for what would satisfy our own fleshly desires, what would satisfy our pleasure. Instead of spending our time preparing for eternity. We come into the presence of God with our strange fire and we wonder why we don't have any answers to our prayers. Now by God's grand and great mercy, by his grace, the fire doesn't come out and strike us dead. There is just no fire. There's just no fire at all. And that's what our brother was referring to today when he spoke of the silence of God. God is silent because of a striking of our own match and creating our own fire, our own energy, our own expectations, our own desires. We're we're going to have it our way or else. Becoming angry and difficult with God and saying, it must be my way. Lord, take my life. Just don't take it that direction. Lord, take my life, but leave the money behind. Lord, take my life, but I want to have all my family and friends love me. Lord, take my life, but I've got to have my education. Lord, take my life, but I've got to have, I've got to have, I've got to have. And the got to haves go on and on and on. That's strange fire before God. By his grace, he doesn't destroy us, but it leaves us in such a cold place. It leaves us with such a a bitter taste in our mouth. It leaves us with such a lack of any manifestations of the Holy Spirit's presence so that the world looks at us and they say, why should I go there? They're no different than we are. It's just they claim to be forgiven. But they're just like we are. They spend their time the same way we spend our time. They spend their money the same way we spend our money. They go to the same entertainment we go to. They're just like us, except they claim to be forgiven. It takes time to be holy. It takes time to be holy. This is not something that can be rushed through. It means, according to Peter, to prepare our hearts for action. Or if you look in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, 
and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, it takes time to deal with a temper. It takes time in the prayer closet. It doesn't take time beating on a pillow to get out our frustrations. That's the humanistic, psychiatric process. It takes time to deal with anger. It takes time in the Word of God. It takes time in the prayer closet. It takes time searching after the ways of Jesus Christ to have that final victory where that temper is broken once and for all and that bitter root is dug up out of our heart and it no longer constantly gives birth to new sprouts in our life. Addictions take time to break. How many times I've seen people who were alcoholic struggle to get through their alcoholism going to these meetings which are bondage, self-help, claiming that they're always an alcoholic because they never can gain the victory by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know why they can't? Because they never spent the time in the presence of my Jesus and your Jesus to gain the victory. But then they gain the victory. Finally, at least have it under control. And what happens? Their addiction now turns another direction. And now they can become addicted to religion. Now, I hate to see people who are addicted to religion. Everything in their life is all about religion. It's not about Jesus. It's about religion. Arguing, studying, debating, going to all the workshops. All they can do is go to the conferences, one conference to the next, to the next. It's all about religion. Not about Jesus. Or the addiction goes to food. Addictions are funny. You kill them in one place and they run somewhere else. You get them put down there and they run somewhere else. Do you know why? Addictions are a basic character flaw that have to be dealt with in the spirit of the living God. And victory comes over addictions when we finally allow the Holy Spirit to come in and do that healing work by the blood of Jesus Christ. That does not happen quickly. Oh, it can. It can happen quickly compared to the self-help process. It can happen as we go into that prayer closet and determine that we're going to stay there until this thing is done. Oh, but wait a minute. Mammon's calling. Jesus, I might try to get back with you maybe tomorrow. Would you mind just putting on hold everything? I'll tell you. It takes time to be holy. To be holy means a fasted life. To Jesus. It means that we begin to recognize that our jobs and our work 
are a place we go on assignment from Jesus. It means that our family and our friends are not our support and our base. They are our mission field where we are sent by Jesus. Where we begin to recognize that our health is not something we own, It is something given to us by Jesus and quickened by the power of the Spirit so that we might serve him and have adequate time to prepare for eternity. If you were to ask today, what is Jesus interested in? Is Jesus interested in IBM? Is Jesus interested in the Washington Times? or the Washington Post? Is Jesus interested in the Redskins? Is Jesus interested in the latest hip-hop song? Now, what is Jesus interested in? Is he interested in the latest television shows? What is Jesus interested in? I can tell you from the Word of God what he's interested in. He's interested in preparing a people who are going to be his bride, who are going to spend eternity with him. And he's interested in IBM only if there are a part of his bride there that he wants to redeem. And then he's going to send some of you there to speak the word of God to those people that they could be redeemed by the blood. You've got to be clear that our interests have to match the interests of Jesus, and it takes time to line my interests up with the interests of Jesus. Most of us spend our time trying to line Jesus' interests up with ours. And we get quite frustrated and angry because it doesn't seem to work very well. He doesn't seem to be interested in the same things we're interested in. He doesn't seem to move and answer prayers regarding certain kinds of things. I've learned it's almost impossible to get God to answer a prayer that I have as my agenda. Most normally, as you mature in Christ, he only answers the prayers that are according to his agenda. Now, by his grace, he will answer prayers that are not on his agenda just to demonstrate his presence and to confront you. He did that with a number of men in Scripture. Remember Gideon? Now make the fleece all wet. No name. Now make the fleece dry and make the ground wet. I mean, God deigned to answer his prayers. That was not God's agenda. God made it fit into his agenda because he filled Gideon with confidence and with faith so that Gideon would go out and face that great army with just trumpets and torches. Now that took some faith. Convinced them to crash those pitchers down and to blow their trumpets and to shout. And then they watched as the army killed itself. Self-destructed. God is interested in answering the prayers that will build faith in our hearts, but only because he has another objective in mind, which is to redeem his bride. 
He wants to end the bitterness of this earth's struggle. Remember Jesus said, how I wish the fire were already burning. He's saying, I wish judgment were already here. I wish this thing were over, but I have something I have to do now. And he was referring to the cross. 2,000 years later, you think Jesus is not eagerly desiring in a much greater way the end of all things? He's not going to tarry except as he puts together his bride. The only agenda that Jesus has is his bride. You are his agenda. His whole energy is bent to wooing your heart, to calling you to follow him, calling you to trust in that ark of righteousness that he has provided for us. Now it takes time. We spend a great deal of time trying to earn money. I sometimes say to people, are you really willing to exchange the hours of your precious life for the few dollars you will earn doing that? Are you really willing to do that? The man who spends his whole life trying to get ahead and finally hits late age and says, boy, I've not been very successful, and then turns bitter and runs to the arms of sin and hopelessness and says, I might as well at least get a few pleasures in life before I die. So let me gamble, let me cheat, let me do whatever I have to do just so I can have a little bit of fun before I die. The heart of the Lord is so gracious, so merciful. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we come into the rest of the Lord Jesus, The word rest literally means stop. Stop. That's all the word rest means. Stop. Cease. Cut it out. When he said, on the seventh day, rest, he meant stay in your tent and stop your jobs. Stop walking. Stop working. Stop moving. Just stay quiet. Spend some time with me. That's all he meant. When we enter into the Sabbath of God now, it means we totally cease all attempts to light our own fires. We totally stop trying to provide for ourselves. We totally stop trying to keep the plates spinning in the air. We let them all crash. And we say, Jesus... My only agenda is to be your bride. My only agenda is your agenda. Now, what would you have your servant do? What would you have your servant be? I'm here to prepare for eternity. I want to go home with you. And then we stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting. We don't go anywhere. We just wait on Jesus. We go where he sends us. We do what he tells us. We speak what he tells us. Now when someone speaks something to us that we don't like, we don't snap back at them with some savvy remark. 
When somebody hits us, we don't strike them back. When somebody starts an argument, we stop. Because we're in rest, we stop. Rest means stop. As my mom and daddy used to say, it takes two to fight. It takes two to fight. One person can't fight by themselves. I've never seen somebody walking down the street hitting themselves. Have you? In other words, the Lord is saying, look, come to me. Take time with me. Take time to be holy. To be holy merely means to be set apart for a special purpose. I want to be set apart for the brideship of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be set apart to. So that all of my energy is going now to be the bride of Christ. So the only reason I come and preach at this house is because Jesus sent me. That's part of my obedience to him. Tomorrow, everything I do is going to be done in obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm going to speak what he tells me to speak, whether somebody likes it or not. I have no interest now in anything except the kingdom of heaven. I'm captivated. I'm ravished by the love of Jesus Christ. He is everything to me. So it takes my time. Are you willing to take time to be holy? Mighty God, I want to be holy. I want to be set apart as the love of your heart. I want to prepare to spend eternity with you. I don't like this world. I don't want this world. My heart is grieved by the wickedness of this world, by the filth of this world. Lord, my heart is broken as I look out and see the way men have given themselves over to the power of darkness and witchcraft, to uncleanness. Lord, sometimes I can barely look in their faces Lord, but you still have precious people out there or you would have come back by now. I ask, Lord, that this fellowship would be about your business. That we would no longer bring strange fire into this house of worship. That we would no longer bring strange fire into our marriages that we no longer bring strange fire to our children and to our family members. That, oh Lord, your name would be upon our lips. That we would have time only to prepare to be holy. Now, Lord, you spoke to your servant, Moses, and you told him to pray a very specific prayer over your people. And you said that by this way, your name would be placed upon them. You said to pray in this manner, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you 
and give you peace. Lord, I pray this over your people today. For everyone who is discouraged, for everyone who is broken by the world's wickedness, for everyone who desires take time to be holy. I speak your word above them and upon them. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. to